Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. And also featuring Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie. Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. So this is from the 2022 Bulwer-Lytton Bad Writing Contest. Oh, I'm gonna I didn't re- know where there was one of those. Th- I could enter that. There is, and I'm going to read it to you, okay? Dino. Are you ready? The heat blanketed the small village in much the same way a body bag blankets a murder victim. Except that a body bag is usually black, which the heat wasn't, as heat is colorless and the village wasn't dead, which a murder victim usually is. Usually. <laughs> it's all fun and good until your Honestly, murder victim is alive. I don't think that's all that bad. That I think I've read way worse. Are these from things that have actually gotten published? I think it's a contest for bad writing specifically oh just to create the worst opening line or something uh let's see See, that's that's not that bad it's a pretty bad opening line just because it goes on forever oh i could think of so much worse like using the wrong words 2019 and i don't know if i'm i've got the wrong link or what okay the 2019 grand prize was (laughs) let me read this to you Space Fleet Commander Brad Brad sat in silence, surrounded by a slowly dissipating cloud of smoke, maintaining the same forlorn frown that had been fixed upon his face since he'd accidentally destroyed the phenomenon known as time 13 inches ago. Is that a porn book? Um, I guess not. Here's another one. This is the the Grand Progendrums Special Award. Emily Zola wandered the dank and soggy streets of a gloomy Parisian night. The injustice of the Dreyfus affair waiting on him like a thousand baguettes. Dreaming of some massage or therapy to relieve the tension and pain in his aching shoulders and back. And then suddenly he thought of his Italian friends and their newly invented warm water bath with air jets. And he rapturously exclaimed that oft mosquito declaration, jacuzzi. It's pretty fucking bad. Come on. Yeah. See, in my, see, if I entered, I would say something like, Pete ran and ran and ran and ran. And then he fell down because he was dead. Like, see, that's crap. Yeah. Yeah. At least those people used descriptive words and the grammar the grammar was a hell of a lot better than many of the uh, self-published books i've yeah. read well see i i mean bulwer lytton was the guy who wrote it was a dark and stormy night yeah yeah and i've never understood why people think that's such a horrible opening line it's like because it's in charlie brown well only because he wrote it first charlie bulwer lytton and and then snoopy stole it from him but it's like dang you snoopy they figure if know. a dog is writing it, it must be bad. I guess, because it's like, I'm. Yeah, it just doesn't seem that horrible to me. Okay, here's a dishonorable mention. Olivia followed her breasts into my office where I was studying the dead flies on the windowsill and dropped a large brown envelope on my desk. 
which rearranged the dust as it came to rest next to my right elbow, causing me to lose interest in the flies. As I watched her walk away, watched carefully while wondering if the motion of her hips could bring a dead man back to life, which led to wondering what she could do to a man who was still alive. That's pretty bad. Anyone who follows their breasts into a room, that's just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that where that 13 inches of uh, ruined time comes in? I guess so. (laughs) Here's another 13 inches. Here's another one. As he pounded on the door, Billy Forto's Caplone wondered, not for the first time, if he wouldn't have been better off in the joint or even taking a concrete nap. But instead, he straightened his tie and gripped his Bible, determined not to blow his cover in the Jehovah's Witness Protection Program. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is fucking hilarious. Jehovah's Witness protection is a great concept. It really is. Come on. I would, I'll admit it. I would read that book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel like I've read a premise where somebody was in witness protection with the Amish. Yeah, I have to. Wait, Uh, was that a movie? That was a movie. That was the bowling movie. No. Was it called Witness? I think it was think with it Harrison was. Ford. No, I was thinking of the movie. Now that's where the little Amish kid sees the murder. And, oh, yeah. I was thinking uh, about the movie with. Um, There's one with Tim Allen and Kirstie. What the fuck is the name of that? Allie, where they hide it's, in a Amish community. It's not Kingpin, community. is it? There yes, you go. That's the one I was thinking it, of. Yeah. I've never seen that, but it's the only bowling it's, movie I can think it of. It has some of the worst slash best scenes known to s- cinematography. There's there's a very Actually, one of those Kate Burkhalter mysteries I've to listen to has some they're not in witness protection, but it's well, I thought I thought it was going to be a guy from the mob who was hiding out pretending to be Amish, but he turned out to be an old ex Nazi hiding out oh. pretending to be Amish. Well, there's a lot of bad writing out there. Done and so- we will never bring it to you on this podcast. Well, we stuff. can't promise we might have to have a, a whole episode based on the worst written books we've ever had to sit through i read a lot of indie stuff and a lot of these people don't have access to great editors so i have to overlook a lot of grammatical and spelling errors and stuff some i was just reading a book today and they were and they misused your and my little heart (gasps) cringed and then i just went on (laughs) i couldn't no 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 if your grammar and your spelling are that bad, you have no business publishing anything. Sorry, I'm being a snob. You're such a snob, Martha. Dang. My nose is You really got to excuse us people who have bad grammar. No, I don't. Us people. <laughs> we do as good as we can, okay? You're trying and you still can't do it. <laughs> I did. I should have said as good or well. I, I guess we're we not ain't. doing as well as we can. We ain't doing that bad. I I ain't doing that worse. That's really bad. <laughs> I ain't doing no worse than anybody else, than no one else, than nobody else. Like the Wyoming phrase, I'll be go to hell, which it's like the meaning is perfectly clear, but the grammar is so wacky. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. The sentence started going north and ended up going southwest and did not make a smooth transition there. You know what? It's everywhere, though. Here, the one that I, I just can't help but break out into a guffaw over is we're going to go have our picture made. <laughs> Even worse than we're, we're, we're going to go down to the, the Walmart, have our tars looked at, then maybe afterwards we'll have Bumfar. Bumfar? Bumfar. <laughs> Have your picture made. Yes. That's actually, that's, that's kind of picturesque, you know? No, but that's it's not, of... a, it's not a picture. It's a picture. Ah. Uh, picture. Oh, so you're have getting something to pour made. your orange juice out of. Evidently. We're going to go have our picture made. made. Because us here in Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas. We not only drink the Kool-Aid, we ask for the Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, we, on, we not only uh, drink the Kool-Aid, we take the whole picture. So what else happened this week? Anything good? Somebody won the Mega Millions. Fucker. Did you see that? Damn yes. them. Somebody in Maine. I know. It wasn't <laughs> us, and that's all I care about. I never did check my numbers. Need to go do that. We might have a little bit of money in there, Vonnie. I know. I didn't win anything. I know. How how long do you have? Like 30 days? Something like I, that. I still I still have time. I need to go get a Powerball ticket tonight. It's not a huge... Is Powerball? It's not a huge jackpot, but... I don't know. I always kind of feel like I do better on the Powerball. I've never won anything on the Mega Millions, not even once. But I, I usually break even on my ticket on the Powerball. I've never oh. really figured out how to play the lottery, and I'm embarrassed at this point to admit I don't know how to do it, so I never buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs> All you do is go up and tell them. I, I don't pick my numbers. I let the computer do it. I just go up and tell them that I need uh, – three Powerball tickets with a multiplier. And it's, you know, three bucks a piece, so it's like nine bucks. You know what is a better way to buy a lottery ticket? You you pull out onto the road and you take $12 out of your wallet and you throw it out your window. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do pretty much every time I buy a fucking lottery ticket because it never pays yeah. off. Now, just watch. We're going to look back at the historical documents and have to eat our words. Well, let's Hopefully. hope. Hopefully. I gladly eat that crow. And this week, have we all checked our garages to make sure we're not harboring confidential or top secret materials? Because they're yeah. evidently in everybody's garage. Yeah, now. you know, yeah. I really need to check that one box that's been back in the corner for years to see if there's anything top secret in there. Well, I mean, there yeah. was the one time that that politician came by and asked me to keep a box for him and not open it but surely that can't be anything confidential no that no, can't be no, i'm sure that's fine yeah. yeah i'm sure that's okay yeah when when president bush was headed through texas he his car broke down and you know he he stopped by the house and asked if we could he could put some things in the attic so i guess i better go check those out make sure he doesn't have any when the FBI come to your house, you are not going to be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the perfect thing that they should have done would have worked. Well, Biden would have worked for Trump too. When they said, "Yeah, how come you didn't give these documents back?" They should have said, "Well, I gave them to George Santos to give them back for me, and he swore that he did." Yes, I it love really that. sounds like somebody who takes care of making sure that confidential information isn't just caddied out to every individual who wants it is going to be in trouble. Yeah, no shit. If the <laughs> FBI shows up at my house to look in my attic, you know what I'm going to say? Oh my God, the FBI listens to our podcast! <laughs> That's so fucking cool! 
cool. <laughs> Could you go ahead and bring back down, bring down those Christmas boxes while you're up there? <laughs> I need to put my tree away. <laughs> I'd really like to do a garage sale. Why don't you just bring it all down? <laughs> yeah. Since you have to bring him down to examine anyways, wait a minute. Let me set up some tables in the front yard and you guys can just put it all right here. How much would a top secret document go for at a garage sale? You know, that's probably five cents. Oh, yeah, at least. At, I'm saying at least a buck, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, I'd though. <laughs> that that might be a little high. A sheet of paper with writing already on it? Bleh. <laughs> Nobody wants that shit. Well, you put it, you you label it a dollar, and then that way you can haggle. If somebody's like, I'll give you 25 cents, you're like, sold. <laughs> no price is ever final. <laughs> Maybe if it's on, if it's blank on one of the sides, I could buy it for scratch paper or something. Write some notes. Yeah, imagine that, you know, some, some guy was working in the White House goes, man, they waste a lot of paper here. I think I'll just take this and cut it up into little strips and make my own little pads my mother used to do that kind of shit <laughs> and i can just imagine can you just imagine you flip one of those over and it's got you know top secret shit on the other side oh i didn't know that about mr i didn't know that about mr putin that's really fascinating you're like i wonder what this number is i wonder if it's the code to the phone <laughs> <laughs> is that George Santos's password? I'm sure, he probably doesn't even remember his password. He lied to himself about that too. Holy Dude, I can't even remember my passwords that I have right now active at work. Yeah, I can't imagine something from seven years ago. We find that painfully obvious, and each time one of us tries to log into one of our accounts, <laughs> I know. we're like, we go around Wait the minute, world. What's the password? <laughs> oh my God, that's not it. Does anybody else know? No? <laughs> Fuck, we're changing the password again. Are we ready to do some reading yet? Dude, you gotta wait for me to finish this line. Talk about something else. That's what he said. I did kind of sniff when I said that. You need to wait for me to finish this line. <laughs> I didn't even get it. I've been binge watching the show. What's it about? It's on HBO. It's about a Hawaiian resort. White Lotus? Yes. I've been meaning to watch that. Is it good? So far, yes, it is. After I watched the first two episodes, I Googled if there was a book, and there isn't. It was written specifically for television. Mm. Pretty good. It's an anthology show, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not one story arc. It's like a well, different one. Each season's a different one. Well, it's all these people at this resort in Hawaii. Uh-huh. For yeah. at least this first season, anyway. I don't know if they're the gonna... second season is all different characters and a whole different storyline. Is yeah. it the same place though? At no. the White Lotus. I don't think so. Oh, because that's maybe. the name of the resort, the White Lotus. Yeah, maybe it's the same place. It was weird last oh. week not having Bonnie here. I know it's been like forever since I've been on. I know because it was like we did two shows the second week in December and two shows the third week. But then we didn't do Christmas or New Year's, and I was off last week. So three weeks in a row, I haven't done a podcast. Do you even remember how to do it? I <laughs> totally set up my computer and forgot to plug in my uh, <laughs> microphone and stuff. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> plug this stuff in. <laughs> All right. Proceed. So um, the book that I picked this week, this week to review it's historical fiction in russia so it's right up my alley see that's a journey 
they journey back and forth from the summer castle to the winter castle a lot. That counts, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> it's called The Tsarina's Daughter by Ellen Elpston. And this is set in 18th century Russia. And it is about the only living offspring of Peter the Great and his wife, Catherine. This book was a little hard to follow. Things happen very quickly. So you really have to kind of pay attention. And sometimes they nonchalantly put stuff in there that you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what just happened? So I, I did have to rewind and listen again to different parts of this book. But once you get into it and, and you kind of get a feel for the characters, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, it is about, like I said, Tsarina Elizabeth, who is the daughter of Peter the Great and Catherine. Um, and this is something that I didn't know until I read this book. Mm -hmm. Catherine and Peter the Great were not married until Elizabeth was three. And oh. Catherine was actually a serf. She was not a royal. So not only was Elizabeth born a bastard, she was also born with this daughter of a serf. And this kind of comes into play later in the book. And it's about her childhood and growing up in the palace. And then about how she was supposed to marry the king of France. And then the king of France decided that he wanted to marry somebody else. So that fell through. And then it, it seems like right after that fell through, like everything just went to shit. Like her, her dad died, Peter the Great died, made Catherine the czar of Russia. And she was the first woman to be the czar of Russia, which is a good fact. Mm -hmm. But then Catherine died. And instead of naming Elizabeth mm -hmm. as the next in line to rule, she named her half nephew. So she skipped right over her and named somebody else to rule. And then it, it's kind of like all of these people that came into rule Russia, she was like supposed to be the, the next one to come to power. And every single time it, it's like she was robbed of her heritage. And a lot of it was because she was an illegitimate daughter of a serf even though you know they were married later it didn't matter she was still born out of wedlock and it's just about kind of different things that happened to her life people are not nice in the royal family in russia at this time i mean there's a lot of drama a lot of backstabbing i mean this could be a reality show if it was i was gonna say was dude that has not changed you know it's no. <laughs> everywhere <laughs> No, but it's just kind of like um, it was one emotional torment after another. And it wasn't even just like um, Elizabeth that suffered from it. Like, for instance, like later in the book, she has a cousin, Christina, um, who prefers the company of women instead of men. And it's kind of since she's a royal, it's kind of an overlooked thing that she has um, a woman as her committed partner instead of a being patrolled to a man. Patrolled, is when, that what you said? Patrolled. Listen, I'm stuffy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. Hold it then. I don't know if you heard, but the cedar count is up. <laughs> yes, I know, I'm suffering as well. Sorry about that. Go ahead. When this one 
woman that comes into power, you know, pushing Elizabeth back even further in her heritage, she decides that she doesn't like the fact that Christina is committed to a woman and she wants Christina to give her the next heir. So she forces her to marry a man. That bitch. And create an heir. Yeah. But then things happen, things come to light, and she gets back at everybody at the end, which I'm not going to tell you what happens, even though you can Google it, because, I mean, it's, it's based on true facts of what happened. <laughs> Cheaters! <laughs> Let's just say that there's a lot of closets, or a lot of skeletons in those royal closets. There's a lot of closets. <laughs> a lot of skeletons, a lot of closets, okay? Oh, that's funny. It was a good read and it was long. I mean, it was a 15 hour book, so it's not short. And there's a lot packed into that 15 hours. You really have to pay attention. And I don't know about anybody else, but because everybody had a very Russian name, it was hard for me to remember which character was which. That has happened to me several times in listening to audiobooks. It's really hard to differentiate characters in certain languages. I was so happy when there was an Augusta that was on there. I'm like, a name I can remember. And then he fucking died. I was like, God damn it. Note to self, don't get um, infatuated with him. <laughs> right, right. If you read it, sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but like I said, it's like... Based on historical facts, you can look it up in Wikipedia and it'd probably tell you. It was a good read. I really enjoyed it. There's some pretty, not really graphic, but um, semi-graphic sexual scenes. So I would say probably not good for younger teenage kids. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of animal abuse. I know that there are some dead animals in there, so... If you're an animal lover, just, you know, beware. There was nothing that made me cringe. So I actually first checked this out because <clears throat> I was thinking about doing it for our winter read because it's Russia, it's cold. And the um, there's lots of snowstorms. They have like a brutally cold winter, lots of starvation and famine nice. amongst the poor. Fun. <laughs> Good lighthearted book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, real lighthearted, Christmassy kind of book. <laughs> that again was called The Serena's Daughter by Ellen Alpston. All right. And I he, hate everything about that title. Everything sounds like it would have been hard to say. <laughs> I was going to say, Keith, if you want to spell this, it starts with a T. I, I found it. Yeah. Did you find it? Okay. I've never heard of, of a Serena. I, I mean, I know a czar. But yeah, that's a hard Tsarina. What a weird word. Maybe it's the Tsar because it's like the first woman Tsar. Yeah. Maybe that's I mean, like the feminine way was, of saying Tsar. I mean, I get it, I guess. It's just oh, it was, weird. It was this, the Tsar's wife. It was like Nicholas and Alexandra were Tsar and Tsarina. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tsaress. Right. <laughs> See, I didn't know either. I thought that was her name. And I'm like, why the hell do they keep calling her Elizabeth? And then they call her Tsarina. What's her name? <laughs> You'll never know. That took me a minute to figure out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. Moving right along. I'm done. It wasn't a super sad one, guys. God. Oh, no. With all the people dying of starvation. Dying. Starvation and, oh, and, and winter. Forced marriages. No, it wasn't Emotional bad. Emotional torment. It was a wonderful Emotional walk Emotional damage. <laughs> 
I mean, it made me want to go out and make snow angels. Okay. <laughs> they, they didn't die early. They lived a long life so they could suffer more. Yeah. Right. Life is suffering. Speaking of suffering, Keith. <laughs> Do I have to suffer through another romance today? <laughs> well, See, yes. I was just trying yes, to find a good do. transition. Just a good segue. Nice. I'm just kidding, you know. I know. It was funny, though. So the book I read this week is called Gothicana by Runix. And uh, this is a gothic dark academia book. Oh, that's a really hot thing right now. So this was self-published originally, but it is coming out in. And so you can get it now, but it's coming out in March. And I guess a bigger publishing company publish it so it'll be in bookstores i would guess i've never actually heard of the publishing company but it must be a big deal because you know they bought the rights and everything which is happening a lot to different romances like i think things start in fan fiction and then they self-publish and then publishers find out that a bunch of people are into them and then pick up the books uh so this book is about Corvina. She's 21. And um, her whole life, she's been really, really sheltered. She lives in a very small town. Um, it's present day, but like she doesn't have a cell phone or internet or anything like that. Her mother has homeschooled her since she was small. And when she turned, when Corvina turned 18, and Corvina's father killed himself when she was like one, I think. When Corvina turns 18, she puts her mother in a psychiatric institution. Both her parents were paranoid schizophrenics and her mother has just been kind of unraveling. So when she's 18 and legally allowed to do so, she puts her into an institution. And she actually goes in as well for testing because, you know, there's a, there's a biological, a genetic component to schizophrenia. So she's really, really concerned throughout this book that at any moment, like she's in her early adulthood. So at any moment she could start spiraling downhill. So she's alone. The way she makes a living is that she does tarot readings and makes candles. So she kind of, she, she's kind of like a witch, just kind of making her living in that way. And then all of a sudden um, she gets this letter from this university giving her basically a free ride to the university if she wants to. So she goes to this university and it's called Varenmore. And it's, she's never heard of it before, but it's in this huge Gothic castle on the top of this mountain. And at the bottom of the mountain is this small village full of people, but it's the kind of mountain where like if it storms or anything, it's real treacherous to get up there and the people of the town don't ever go up and the P and the university students don't aren't allowed to go to the town. So it's just this like real creepy university. And when she goes and she gets a ride up there from a guy in the village, she realizes how bizarre it is up there because he's telling her stories about how you know, people from the village don't go up. They can't get past the gates and they don't allow students down there because uh, a long time ago, there were incidents where students would take people from the village and do nasty things to them. And so she's just kind of hearing a few stories and she's like, oh, great, where am I going? And then when she gets there, she meets her roommate 
and her roommate is repeating her freshman year because the last semester, this girl's roommate killed herself by jumping off one of the highest turrets in the castle. She wasn't suicidal or anything. She just kind of walked off. And it turns out that every five years, students kind of just disappear during the blood moon. And there's all these weird things that are going on with this university. And then she runs into one of her professors. His name is Professor Deverell, and he is a doctoral student, but he um, teaches her introduction, one of her introductory classes. And he is really creepy and very bizarre. And he feels really pulled to her. And she doesn't know what to think of him because she is like the most sheltered child in the world. She doesn't have cell phones. She doesn't know anything about talking to people. I think she says she hasn't talked in like really like two years because she hasn't had anyone to talk to. And so she's real concerned because people just kind of die and go missing and everybody kind of just treats it like, oh, well, you know, it's weird up here. It's kind of creepy at this university. And then she starts hearing voices and weird things kind of start happening to her. And you don't know if she's losing her mind because she's really concerned that at any moment she's going to have a mental breakdown. So you're not sure if it's the university. You're not sure if it's somebody else just trying to make things look like it's supernatural or paranormal. And you're not sure if it's just ghosts and weird, creepy things going on. But it was really, really interesting. Um, a couple of students end up killing themselves by just walking off of this turret for, for no reason that anybody can figure out. And then they know the blood moon is coming. I think it's the blood moon. So everybody's gearing up because nobody knows which students are going to be taken or disappear and for what reason. But they know it's going to happen because it's happened every five years for the last like 150 years. It was really creepy and weird and you, and it's very turny and twisty, um, kind of se sexually explicit. I gave it two Megan blushes. And I mean, it's between like a 28 year old professor, doctoral student and a 21 year old that the romance occurs. So, I mean, it's, it's an inappropriate relationship basically. I, I liked it a lot. I liked the dark, creepy like aspect of it it's the kind it's the kind of spooky read that i like i really like the stories about like boarding schools that are creepy as fuck so <laughs> i like this one a lot i gave it five stars and uh that again was gothicana by runix that's a really interesting name of an author yeah it's capital r u capital n y x ms pat Miss Pat, have... that just sounds terrible. Hey. Pat, what have you got today? <laughs> Miss Miss Pat sounds like I'm teaching little kids at a dance school. Where yes. for some reason, dance schools they always call the instructors Miss this and Miss that. And... Yes, yes. Sorry yeah. about that. So I have a suspense, mystery, police procedural type book. This is called "The Keeper of Lost Causes" by Juicy Adler Olson. He is, he is a really good author. He's got a book called The Alphabet House, which Martha reviewed a long time ago. In fact, she turned me on to it. And it's not one of the police procedurals. It's just a standalone and one of the best thrillers I've ever read. Just yep. excellent. 
Bonnie read uh, it too. Alphabet House. Yeah. Yeah. The Keeper of Lost Causes is the first in a series of books about Department Q, which is a police department that is charged with investigating essentially cold cases, things that have remained a mystery. And for some reason, the police department just can't quite let go of them. I should preface this by saying that it's all set in Denmark. Uh, Juicy Adler Olsen is a Danish author. I don't think it ever specifies Copenhagen, Copenhagen, which yeah, it's I Copenhagen, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Copenhagen. I think I yeah. think it does. Maybe not. Does it? Maybe not in the first one. The main character in the book is Detective Carl Mork, who is the head of the newly formed Department Q. He's in this department because they've basically kicked him upstairs. They don't know what to do with him in the police department. He has recently been wounded, um, or no, he wasn't wounded except psychologically. He was in a shootout with some bad guys. Two of his two partners, one was killed and the other was seriously wounded. And he is left kind of a basket case because he's obsessed with thoughts of, did I do enough? Did I, was there some way I could have prevented my partners from being hurt and killed? So he's carrying a lot of baggage that way. He has a rocky relationship with his wife and a rocky relationship with his stepson. He's a very flawed character, which makes him very believable and, and very interesting, I think. Because of all his problems, as I said, the police department didn't quite know what to do with him. So they kick him upstairs and inform Department Q, which is literally in an unused room in the basement of police headquarters where nobody has to see him or deal with him if they don't want to. And he hires himself an assistant whose name is Hafez is a Syrian man. At one point, it seems fairly late after hiring him, how he managed to not give away his last name during any hiring process, I don't know. But eventually, fairly late in the book, Carl Mork becomes aware of the fact that Hafez's last name is Assad, and he's from Syria. So now he's going, are you related to... And, uh, and Hafez turns out to have all kinds of skills you would not expect. Um, skills that suggest that he was probably a spy, a hitman, who knows what he might have been in his former life in the Middle East. And I'm really hoping that we find out some of that in subsequent books because I'm curious. What's going on in this book, once Department Q is formed, the first case they pull out to take a look at is that of a member of the Danish parliament, a younger woman, she's uh, I think 32, and she was kidnapped, well, she disappeared five years before. No one ever knew quite what happened to her. And eventually, because the last place she was seen was on a ferry boat, they assumed that she must have fallen overboard and been drowned. So her case has gone cold. But after these five years, Carl Mork starts to turn up some information and put things together. And we find out that this woman was kidnapped and she has been held for five years. Without giving away too many spoilers, I will say the, the book goes back and forth. You see her perspective, you see what she's experiencing in alternating chapters with 
Mork's search for her. So it's not a spoiler to say she's been kidnapped and she's still alive. The circumstances in which she's being held are a fascinating plot point. She's being held in a pressure chamber, and that means that they can raise the atmospheric pressure gradually. And over the course of the time she's been held, each year they raise the pressure one atmosphere, and it takes her from days to a few weeks to kind of accumulate. So by the time Mork is engaged in his search for her, she's living at an atmosphere of six pressures, or a pressure of six atmospheres. And that means that if someone figures out what's going on and comes busting in to save her, if they open the door, she's a dead woman because it's the same situation as a diver with the bends. Mm -hmm. The night killer. All of of the gases in her body have been compressed to such a degree that if that pressure is released too suddenly, she will literally explode. So there's an extra tension because there's the, will he find her? Will he find her in time? And if he finds her, will he know not to open the door? (laughs) At first I was bothered, and I think maybe you're supposed to be bothered by the fact that Karl Mork's attitude toward women is not real enlightened. Mm There's a there is a secretary in the police department who has been very helpful to him and he has no problem taking advantage of her help, but he just thinks of her as as well, she's useful because she knows how to do this stuff, but he's very dismissive of her as a person. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a counselor that the police department brings in and wants him to see because of the traumatic thing that he went through when his partners were hurt and killed. And his sole focus on the the counselor is, hey, she's pretty good looking. She's got a nice ass. I'm yep. going to talk to her. And then as soon as he finds out she's married, that's it. He doesn't need counseling anymore. He can just do without this. <laughs> He's a very flawed and individual. He is. And I at first I thought, this is really, I'm not sure I'm going to like these books because of that attitude toward women. But that is Carl Mork's attitude, not the author's attitude. Because the woman, uh, the kidnapped victim that he creates for being held five years in this perfectly horrible, I mean, absolutely alone. No one ever is in this room with her. She gets food through an airlock in the wall. A bucket comes in and that's it. That woman is strong and resourceful and figures out ways to keep her shit together mentally. Not to mention the fact that she's, since an auto accident, she has been responsible for the care and of uh, a younger brother who is who's brain damaged from the auto accident and is going to need care for the rest of his life. So she serves as a member of parliament. She keeps track of her brother and makes sure that he gets all the care he needs. And when she is in a horrible situation, she keeps her shit together better than you would imagine anybody really could under those circumstances. So he's the author is perfectly capable of and does create resourceful, admirable women characters. But Carl Mork doesn't appreciate <laughs> because but that's he's what, kind of a jerk. But yeah, yeah, but that's what makes him a good character because he's so flawed. Yeah, I think anyway, it's it's a slow start to this book because you have to get through the whole bit about how Department Q comes into being. I have read one other book in the series so far. I read one of them a couple of years ago, 
And I remember that the tension was much, was more present from the very beginning. So I think this book is kind of an anomaly in that you have to get through the departmental politics and the forming of Department Q. But now that Department Q is up and running, I expect the next books to be tense very right from the get-go. So that is The Keeper of Lost Causes by Juicy Adler Olson. And do you know that there are adaptations on Netflix? I, I looked, I tried to watch one, but you couldn't. At least the one for Lost Causes, you had to buy. You couldn't oh. just get it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think, it might I think it was only on Prime. Oh, mm. that's probably where I watched it on Prime. I couldn't remember, but I did it watch. It was on Prime, but it's not the kind that's free with your membership. It's, oh. it's a buy They must rent. have changed it because it used to be free. Cheers. I know. Speaking of that, I finished the rest of Lessons in Chemistry since last week and just absolutely loved it to the end. Did you know there's a series coming out based on it? No. Apple TV is putting together a series and Brie Larson is going to play Elizabeth Zott. Oh, now I got to get Apple TV. (laughs) Damn it. That's cool. Okay. The book I am going to review today is a debut and it is called The Weight of Blood by Laura McHugh. You kind of expect at time to hear banjo music because it's in, it takes place in this small town called Henbane. But it was really, real. It was really disturbing, but really good at the same time. And I decided to review it because I just did an interview at work for the nonprofit sh- uh, show that I do called Sunday Morning Magazine, and I interviewed a local organization called the Dragonfly Home, which helps victims of human trafficking and I had interviewed them a few times before but every time I do it just really brings home the idea that human traffickers are everywhere and it is human trafficking prevention month and awareness month and so I thought I read this book and it sort of fits into that category of human trafficking so I thought I would go ahead and review it. It starts out following a girl who's going to be starting this job and she arrives at the place where she's going to be living and she's surprised when she gets there because her room doesn't have any windows or anything in it it's sort of like looks like, looks like a made over garage or something and while she's kind of looking around the place she's thinking back you know and you kind of get her backstory she doesn't have any family She was sent to a foster home when she was very young. I'm pretty sure her parents were killed or something. I don't remember the exact backstory. It has been a few months since I read this book. But she's a very beautiful girl. And she has just aged out of the foster care system. And she's received this live-in job. Whoever her foster parent was had set this up for her. And so she gets there and she quickly realizes that the dude that hired her is really kind of creepy and he kind of comes on to her. And then again, she quickly realizes that she is locked in to the room that she's staying in. And then he comes in and he rapes her and he then starts selling her out to his friends. So... She's basically been human trafficked. And there's another 
section of the book, it's told from two perspectives. And the other perspective is this young girl who lives in Henbane. And she lives with her father. Her mother disappeared when she was young. And she's also very close with her uncle. Well, her uncle keeps offering her a job. And her dad doesn't really want her to work there. But she finally talks him into it. And he has like a, I think it's a bait shop and restaurant. I don't know, some some kind of little business. And she goes to work there. And it's kind of boring. And one of the guys that's there is really cute. And he gets the assignment of going to clean out this trailer house. Well, on her backstory, you kind of get the story of how one of her friends has gone missing. And her friend, basically, she is a girl that she met at the bus stop. And she's not very bright. She's kind of a special needs type girl. And whatever her name is. Um, what is her name? I can't remember what her freaking name is. Anyway, she, her friend Sherry has gone missing. And so when they go to clean this trailer out, it's really just a horrible mess. And they go back into the back bedroom and they find this mattress that's all bloody and they're cleaning up in there and she finds this necklace that she had given to Sherry. It belonged to her and she had given it to Sherry because Sherry admired it. And so she knows that Sherry has been in this trailer house. And so she's kind of trying to do her own little investigation to find out what's happened. She sort of stumbles into some family secrets that are pretty disturbing and both stories eventually converge. What are you laughing about? Is it your cats? I'm so sorry. My cat sees Vonnie knitting and crocheting and she's freaking out because she doesn't know where the yarn is going and she's like keep trying to find it. <laughs> and she's staring at Vonnie like she's gonna attack her and I'm like she's far away oh, sorry hilarious. go ahead so anyway it, it's a very disturbing story and you you get a lot of really just horrific information about this family and about the people in the town and it just really shows how easy it is for people to prey on others and how kids who are outside the system that don't have family connections can so easily be taken advantage of. It's just really sad. I found I found the story really good. It was a very well told story. I did read the audio and I really, really liked the way that that was done. And I thought it was really, especially when I found out it was a debut, which I normally notice right away, but I didn't even notice that until I went back to look at the details again. I don't even remember why it why it was on my radar to begin with. I'm sure I probably saw it on a list somewhere and picked it up, but I'm definitely going to get a copy of this for my shelf because it really was, it was a good story. It was very twisty and I liked the way she took the two storylines and sort of put them together. I would highly recommend it. It was a good book and definitely a good example. I shouldn't say a good example, a frightening example of how human trafficking happens every single day right under our noses. In small towns. And that was one of the things that we were talking about in the interview with these girls from Dragonfly Home. They were talking about a local girl who met someone on an online dating site. 
She's a single parent, a native girl, and she went to Dallas to meet this guy after she'd been online, you know, talking to him for a very long time. She went there to have a date with him finally, and he basically kidnapped her and kept her there for an entire month before she got away. So it just goes to show you that, you know, that kind of thing happens every single day, whether we hear about it or not. So, you know, look out for your friends. Yeah, I know. I brought the room down. Martha brought the room yeah, down. Yeah, I don't usually do that. But um, but it was a really good book, though. So go pick up a copy today of The Weight of Blood by Laura McHugh. Uh, I think it was published in 2014. It looks hmm. like she's written a few other things since looking it up and I, I'm getting tons of info about it on a book called The Weight of Blood except it's by Tiffany Jackson. Oh. Well. That's why that sounded familiar. Yeah. Okay, this she won an International Thriller Writer Award for Best First Novel uh, for a Silver and a Silver Falchion Award for Best First Novel Literary Suspense and the Missouri Author Award for Fiction. Um, yeah, if you if you add her name into the to the search, then you then I can find it. But yeah, it's it's a shame they've got apparently two pretty big <laughs> buzzy <laughs> books with the exact same title. Yeah, Yo. that's not surprising actually. Her latest novel, What's Done in Darkness, was one of Oprah's best beach reads of 2021. Which I haven't read any of these other books. I just came across this one. Maybe it was in the library available or something, and it sounded good. So that's why I read it anyway i'm going to be picking up some other things by her as well speaking of things things not to do like don't human traffic or <laughs> but, uh, yeah i just came up with a uh, became aware of a really good thing not to do i had a story pop up on my newsfeed while we were doing this mm -hmm. about a bookstore an independent bookstore in chicago that had a customer who came in and purchased 800 and some dollars worth of books and just returned them all because they they purchased them to stage and decorate their home oh, for the Christmas season. That's and terrible. Brought them all back. It was a little indie bookstore and they said that was a third of our rent for a month. And apparently the customer was oblivious to the fact that this was not a very kosher thing to do. So do not do that to your indie bookstore. Show them love. Show them, show them your support. Don't don't buy. Why wouldn't you go to like a Goodwill and just buy a whole bunch of books for like fifty cents? Because they were very fancy coffee table books and cookbooks that if some it said some were even in like special wrappings and oh my god yeah they they bought this that's lame yeah we should that find is... out the name of that person and give them some shit that's those, that's the well, kind of person you should find out their name and shame them on social media yeah the the, the bookstore owner very uh with a good deal of restraint did not say who the customer is but she apparently just posted a something on on twitter just kind of a rant saying you know we're real disappointed that this happened and they have in response people retweeted it and they have gotten orders from all over the country from people saying yeah. we support you and oh. they said turns out this is one of our biggest uh or 
that the tweet has been viewed over 6.9 million times. And what's the name? So of they've gotten they've what? gotten a lot of business to make up for that $800. What's the name the of the bookstore? Volumes Book Cafe in Chicago. Well, that sounds like a visit is in order. I think so. <laughs> Let's go to Chicago, girls. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we got to win the freaking lottery first. Either that pass on uh, Chicago. They just had a thing on the news about how they have special training courses to train individuals to treat gunshot wounds because their ambulance service is so slow. Holy freaking shit. I've been there a couple of times, actually. Or their response time is so slow. I'm like, well, (laughs) I've been the airport a bunch of times. I've never been anywhere else. My yeah, sister-in-law that, that's lives. That's my only Chicago exposure too. My yeah. sister-in-law yeah. lives in Crystal Lake and I've been to see her once. And then I went to my goddaughter's wedding a couple of years ago there. So yeah, well, I guess maybe unless we take some gunshot wound training, I guess we'll wait for our visit until we get that taken care of. Right. Exactly. We do have some Chicago book girls though. I know. And probably not all Chicago's like that. I didn't pay that much attention to which region of the Chicago it, that was in, but it's still like, damn. <laughs> damn, girl. Damn. You got to be a field medic to go to Chicago. Need to know a little more than CPR. Yeah. Yeah, not, not just Chicago anymore. Not when not when six-year-olds are bringing guns to school. Oh, yeah. Fuck. I could not believe. Well, yeah, let me rephrase that. Yes, I could believe it. I felt very sad to hear about it, but it didn't surprise me because people are stupid and they don't think. I mean, the gun that the little kid brought to school was purchased illegally and his mother left it laying around. It was purchased legally, yeah. but his mother left it lying around. Oh, I thought it was illegally. No, I, I, I heard so. it was legal. Oh. Maybe I, re- I misread that in the story that I read this morning. But, I mean, it should have been out of That's the problem is, you know, people don't, if they can't afford a gun safe, they think that it's okay to not have yeah, one. Yeah, listen, this isn't the 80s where you could just put that shit in the drawer in the kitchen which is what my grandpa used to do. No, they put them in their nightstand drawers. <laughs> and then the kids know where they are. And then the kids think that's cool and take them to school when their, when their kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher tells them to quit fucking around in class. They take it personally and shoot her. Shoot, my grandpa had the guns hanging off the antlers of the deer that was mounted in his in his room. Well, in Wyoming, it's in it, every every pickup you see on the road has a yeah, rifle in the back had, window. I have to do is grab it. Yep. Well, it was well, pre, it was premeditated. Like he brought it in to shoot, like because he had brought in bullets earlier that week, and some of the students had reported that to parents, and the parents had called the school about it, but the school just called the mom, and the mom I don't know didn't do anything. I bet she but wish it, she had yeah, now. <laughs> well, you don't think that a six-year-old is going to come in and sh- uh, shoot up the... They're parroting behavior that they see. So whether that whether he's seeing that at home or whether his parents are letting him watch television that has that kind of behavior, whatever it is. Oh, it's depressing. So much for having a funny outro. <laughs> part of, yeah, part of that is my <laughs> fault. I ended on a downer. So let's find something 
upbeat to discuss for our ending, should we? Yeah. Yeah, one of your things was like, yeah. oh, it was blanketed by body bags yes. and black. Oh, yeah. oh, here, here we go. Here, here's another one. This is in the dishonorable mentions category. Anthropologist Roland Weatherby stumbled upon the detritus of a cannibal camp, including the smoldering remains of his faithful guide, Davy, and raged in disbelief at the thought that even in this digital information age, primitive tribes feasted on the red meat of human flesh paired with a subpar 2016 Chardonnay. See, that's not terrible writing. That's just a really weird premise. You know what I mean? Kind of, it's too long. Okay, just break it up into a couple of shorter sentences. No, that's what that's what makes it so bad, though. And so, yeah. All right, here's another: the winner in children's literature. Really, is human meat red meat? They could be the other white meat. We are high in cholesterol. Long pork. pork. Yeah, that's true. We are the other white meat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here's the winner in children's literature. Old man Buckman had been murdering and dismembering teenagers in our town for years and getting away with it. And it's important to emphasize this right up front because young readers like you have painfully short attention spans. And unless a story grabs you right off the bat, you'll be back on your video games or phones or skateboards in the blink of an eye. You lost me. Yep. See, that sounds like someone trying to be Lemony Snicket to me. All right, let's see. Uh, here's, here's the winner in Crime and Detective. Realizing that his symptoms indicated a virtually undetectable fast-acting neurotoxin, CIA coroner Quinn Abner frantically wrote up the details, lay on the floor, and as a professional courtesy, did his best to draw a chalk outline of himself. <laughs> it is, it's bad! so wait do people write these themselves or does somebody else enter them no i think they're writing these on purpose okay here's dark and stormy the winner it was a dark and stormy night and since this was miami in july and everyone had left their convertible tops down the rain the rain fell in cadillacs that sucks yeah poor cadillacs And to be honest, who hasn't laid down like at the beach and tried to do a chalk outline in the sand? <laughs> I mean, has anyone else done that? I've done that <laughs> completely. That's funny. <laughs> Some people do sand angels. Bonnie does a chalk outline. <laughs> they, they are written just for the contest. The participants write an atrocious opening sentence to the worst novel never written. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents outside the Breast Western, a country-themed strip club where the exotic dance duo of Stormy and Dark rattled the house, for it was a Tuesday, and fiercely agitated the lustful flames of the patrons who struggled in the darkness to rearrange their wranglers. The Breast Western? You, Come on! My book about, like, a dinosaur eating a girl's arm, that was way worse. It was way worse. I admit it. You read that out loud, and I could not believe, A, <laughs> that it was actually a book for sale, and B, you know what's funny? that you actually read it. That's making, that is, like, making the rounds on TikTok. Like, I see it, on, like, physical copies on people's bookshelves. 
Holy fuck. Oh, it's so awesome. And that was the winner? Well, that's super fun. <laughs> Rosemary was crushed and no amount of time or sage advice could assuage her agony or at the very least reduce the swelling. Got <laughs> <laughs> a penicillin to clear that all up. Yep. Nah. You definitely need penicillin when it swells like that. I knew right? my husband was cheating on me because I tasted his breath on the new maid's lips. So Wait, how come she was tasting lips? the lips of the maid? <laughs> exactly. Ew. And which lips are we talking about here? Here's one salty goodness one tastes the, uh... like Sam. <laughs> Wouldn't it make more yeah. sense to have her taste the no. girl on his... <laughs> probably don't want to go there <laughs> here's one from like the first year they had that contest and it's a short one dawn broke like a crusty suet pudding ew, ew. <laughs> is that some good crust uh or is it like morning after crust oh. either of what you want to eat Gross! I'm completely grossed out right now I think I just threw up in my mouth and that's gonna do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.